the series this summer that we're talking about is our uh, faith on mission. The idea that our faith is always engaged, our faith is always intentional, and we've got to be looking uh, and mindful of our mission here on this earth as we go about our daily activities. So we looked at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 last week, or two weeks ago, and we talked about the Great Commission. And um, we saw there that uh, the main verb of the sentence is not go, it's not baptize, it's not teach, it's not observe. <laughs> the main verb of uh, that passage is disciple. So disciple there is a verb. And so the, the main thing that we're supposed to be doing on our mission is to be making disciples or discipling. And the, the idea behind that verse is that as you're going about your daily business, it's the go part of it, as you're going, disciple, and the way that you disciple is by baptizing and teaching. And so the baptizing speaks of kind of the initiation into the faith, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight. The, the idea of sharing the gospel news and inviting people into relationship with Christ. And then teaching is now teaching them to walk in this disciple, in this faith that they have. So uh, that's the mission that we're on, no matter where we are, what we're doing. We don't have to go overseas to do that. We can do that in our own homes, with our neighbors, in our workplaces, at the grocery store. As we're going about the things that we're doing, we're to be discipling and making disciples of others. That's our mission here on this earth. So uh, the, the reason uh, we have life and what God is wanting to do through us. And so tonight what I wanted to do was look at uh, the mission exhibited. So this is uh, uh, the demonstration of someone on mission. What does this look like? What, what, what can we uh, identify? And obviously our example for someone who was on mission and did this well was Jesus. <laughs> Jesus had a clear mission. He stuck to the mission. He fulfilled his mission. And everywhere he went, he was about his mission, even though he was doing various other things. And so I wanted to, to bring that to light a bit tonight and talk a bit about that. So when we start talking about our mission, there's a, a quote I wanted to read from uh, a life coach type person. In the, in the life coach arena and these things, there, there's a, the big... Uh, desire there is to get people to establish intentionality and purpose and goals that they can now shoot for. And we make these goals because they help keep us focused, they help keep us directed onto our goals, uh, and they keep us on track so we don't get distracted by all the other things that come along. And in uh, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, uh, the author Stephen Covey uh, talks about personal mission, and this is how he defines it. He says it's something that focuses on what you want to be, speaking of your character, and to do, speaking of your contributions and achievements, and on the values and principles on which being and doing are based. And so I thought this was a good start for us because everybody's looking for purpose. Everybody's looking for a reason that they do things. Why do you do these things? Why do you go here? What's your day about? Why do you get up in the morning? <laughs> Why do we keep putting one foot in front of the other? Why do you go to work? Why do you do these things? And there's many different reasons we can answer why. But at the heart of it, when we get back down to the ultimate why, it's because we're making disciples. That should be our ultimate why. But we oftentimes don't arrive at that for many of the things that we do. And so I wanted to show us tonight with what Jesus and how he demonstrated this, that he focused his mission and he was successful on that. He didn't get distracted from it. And he was able to fulfill it in just daily life and all that he did. So... Um, in John 3.16, a verse I'm sure many of you are aware of, <laughs> I, I take this as kind of Jesus' mission statement. If you were to write a mission statement, this might be a good one for him. 
Uh, you guys know it. It's, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This was the entire reason for Jesus' coming. First of all, God the Father gave. He, he uh, uh, allowed his Son to take this role and take this place for the purpose that if we were to receive it, if we are to believe and to accept this, then, then we can have eternal life. And then that talks a lot about things we're going to get into tonight, but this is kind of the, the mission that the Son came into the earth for. He came into the earth for the purpose of making eternal life attainable and accessible to people like you and I. And so he's got to stay focused on that goal. Jesus could have been distracted by a lot of different things. He could have tried to change the Sanhedrin. He could have tried to fix the Jewish system. He could have tried to reteach the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He could have tried to correct the temple practices. He could have, you know, tried to free Jerusalem from Rome. There's a lot of things he could have done, and they would have been good things. He could have fed the poor. He could have, uh, you know, denounced the rich and, and redistributed wealth. He could have, you know, we're going to get into a lot of the modern day things here. He could have done all of those things. And all those things are good and all those things are helpful. But Jesus had a mission. And Jesus had to stay focused on his mission. Jesus, being God, could have changed any of those things. But there was one driving goal that he stayed, stayed attached to. And I think that's the important key we want to get from Jesus. He had one goal that he was trying to arrive at. And he had to stay focused on that and not get distracted with all the other things that he could have done. Why didn't he heal everybody? Why did he go to the pool of Bethesda and heal one man? There were lame people all over the place. <laughs> but he had, a, he had a specific mission in mind that he had to demonstrate and, and work out. And so that, that focus on the mission and that drive that he had is a great example for us. That we are on a mission. And although there's lots of things that we can do, we can't fix everything. We're not going to do all that stuff. But what is the one mission that we need to be focused on and attaining? And, and that's what we're going to uh, keep focusing on. <clears throat> Here we go. So from the beginning, just I'll do a quick survey. Jesus' mission was established from the very beginning. You guys all know back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's a, a verse that we call the Proto-Evangelion. It's the, the first gospel. <laughs> That's the, the fancy word for it. It's that first gospel message there that, that uh, from the seed of woman, there's going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent's going to bruise the heel of that one. And so you've got this uh, initial inclination that God's got a plan where he's going to do something to bring justice. God's going to work somehow. And so you get the, the hint of a good news in there. Because in that Genesis 3, that's the cursing from the fall. You know, the woman is going to have labor uh, issues. The, the men are going to work the ground and, you know, so on and so forth. All of these bad curses are coming out of this. But in the middle of all that cursing, there's a promise that there is one coming who's going to bruise the head of the serpent. And so there's, there is a good news in this. That's the, the first gospel message. So way back in Genesis, we see this mission already established. And the New Testament talks about it being as from before the foundations of the world. God's already ordained this. God's already planned this out. And then just the very name of Jesus and the, the birth of Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you've got uh, the prophecy going to Mary, and it says that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save their people, the people from their sins. And so the, the salvation mission of Jesus is already demonstrated at his birth and the announcement of his birth. When you read through Luke and the, the uh, narrative of his birth there in Luke, um, 
You've got the same kind of things that Jesus is going to save people from their sins. You've got Simeon there, the old prophet uh, or the old man coming in the temple. And um, basically in chapter 2, verses 29 through 32, Simeon lays out this whole thing about Jesus being the savior of uh, Israel. And all of those birth narratives, if you look back to Isaiah chapter 40 through 46, especially where it lays out the salvation message for Israel at the end of the prophecy of Isaiah. And it's all messianic, prophetic uh, salvation type passages. And so uh, all the way through, Jesus had this mission laid out from before the foundation of the world. And then finally in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so the idea that, that Jesus has this mission, he's got this set design plan and this goal is laid out from the very beginning. <clears throat> now, Jesus himself has a clear mission and he knows it. And I want to lay out just three parts of the mission of Jesus because he's got three things that, that do tie together uh, and that are uh, essential together that he's passed on to us because he's passed the mantle, if you will, to us to continue the work that he's begun here. Obviously, we are doing it differently. We are not bringing salvation to the world, but we get to now share the salvation that was provided with the world. And so we have a similar mission to Jesus. Uh, the first thing is in John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus is there before Pilate, before his crucifixion. And uh, Pilate is uh, asking Jesus questions and saying, "Where you know, what kind of king are you? And Jesus said, well, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and so on, Pilate, well, you are a king. Uh, and then there's a, a statement there in uh, chapter 18, verse 37, where Jesus responds and he says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. All right, that, that kind of perks our ears right now. Okay, Jesus is saying, I have a specific purpose for being born and being brought into this world. Here it is. It's to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Okay. So that's, that's a pretty hefty statement that Jesus is saying, I have one reason for being here. This is the purpose I'm here. I'm a witness to the truth. Okay. Now, the, John 17, 17, a passage you guys all know, it's, it's, if you ask, what is truth? As Pilate responded, <laughs> what is truth? <laughs> well, John 17, 17, Jesus is saying, well, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay. Jesus is the word taken on flesh, and we have the scriptures here of his word expressed to us. So this is truth. It's not just a standard of the truth, but this is the measure of all truth. And I think Jesus is uh, elevating the word of God, the heart of God, the, the expression of God to that highest point of this is truth and everything else is measured in light of this. Obviously, it doesn't hold all truth in it. It's not doesn't hold all mathematical and scientific truths or whatnot for any skeptics that want to argue that, you know, this isn't a science textbook or those sort of things, but what the Bible speaks on it is authoritative and accurate and true. And so God's word is, is truth itself. And, and that puts the word itself above everything else. And so the, the question needs to come down to this. Uh, when I read that, I ask this one question is it's the truth regarding what? Because what is, what is the truth? Every truth regarding everything. Okay. Jesus says, for this purpose I came in, that I would bear witness to the truth. What witness did Jesus bear? The witness that he bore was the truth of the, the heart of God, the redemption plan of God that's been laid out from before the foundation of the world. 
And so his, Jesus bore witness to the truth of the sovereignty of God and his planning and the work of God, the compassion and love of God in saving his people. And that there's no other way to know God except to go through this pattern, to go through this program, if you will. And so, you know, the truth that he uh, is, is expressing there, our modern day churches can water it down very easily. It's very easy for a lot of modern Christianity to water it down because we start talking about the Christian life and we want to talk about the gospel message being a better life for you now. And that's, that could be part of it. God will bring you peace and greater joy and, 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 and you'll have contentment that you never had before and you'll not have anxiety. And, and we start selling the Christian faith to people in that sense. But that's not the truth that Jesus came to give us. <laughs> that might be a byproduct of what we receive, but the truth that Jesus came to bear witness of is that we are sinners and God is a just God who will judge sin. So we're all in dire straits at that point. <laughs> and so the, the, the truth is we are uh, at enmity with God in our natural setting and God must judge sin or else he's not just. And so we are the object of the justice and judgment of God if nothing is done. And so the truth is that, you know, mankind is fallen and sinful. That's the hard truth. And a lot of, again, a lot of Christianity, we don't want to talk about that. But then the truth is, how do we get back into the right standing with God? How do we, how do we get to know God better? Well, this is what Jesus came to bear witness of. The only way to do that is to receive what he's offered to make peace or atonement or uh, reconciliation with God. And the only way that we can be reconciled with God is for justice to be done with our sin. Again, God can't brush it under the rug. God can't just sweep it under there. The Old Testament system, you had sacrifice after sacrifice, and we would have little lammies climbing around in here today that we would take to the temple and have to lay our hands on as they slice the throat of them. And it would be very real, the, the consequence of our sin. Today, we're removed from that type of setting, but the consequence of our sin is that Jesus had to die and take it for us. There's that substitutionary atonement. And so uh, Jesus said, I came to bear witness to that first and foremost, that you can be right with God, but the only way to be right is through this uh, judgment that has to occur. And Jesus is saying, I will take the judgment for you so that you can be reconciled. And so that, that's the truth of the gospel message, that if we are going to make disciples of others and that Jesus came to bear witness of, and if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps and do that, we eventually have to get that message to other people. And I know it's uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable for me to talk about with people that you're a sinner and you need Jesus to die in your place for you and you need to accept and receive that. But that's the, that's the heart of the gospel message. Not that you can have peace, not that you'll have a better life, not that you'll you know, certainly not that you'll be prosperous and rich and, you know, all these sort of things. But that's oftentimes we try to make the gospel look um, desirable by talking about the tangential effects that could come from knowing God. Yes, we do have peace. Yes, we do have, uh, you know, these things that come into our life. But that's not the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came to die to make us right with God again. Not, not to give us comfort and, and all these other things. In him we have comfort, but the purpose that he came and the truth that he's testifying of is the truth of God's uh, just judgment being appeased through his death on the cross. And so that's a, a message that is not popular today. Um, 
But it's, it's that purpose that Jesus came was to bear witness that that is the gospel message. And so if we're going to go and minister and we're going to go disciple others and we're going to go wherever we go and represent him, we have to, that's the message we have to represent. Otherwise, we fall short of the full gospel message. And people uh, can feel comfortable with God. They can feel like they're on the right track. They can have a little bit of peace in their life. They can have all those things and miss the heart of the message that they, their sin needs to be dealt with. And so... Uh, that's the first thing he did, is he came to uh, uh, bear witness to the truth. And for that purpose he came, that that truth had to be laid bare and laid clean. Because the, the Jewish people in that context were looking to the sacrifices and to the temple and to the priesthood and to their Abrahamic roots and all these sort of things as uh, consolation and comfort that they're okay with God. I'm a Jew, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Sadducee, I'm a whatever, therefore I'm okay. Nothing's going wrong in my life, therefore I, I must be okay with God. And that's even today. You know, I don't have any major issues. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm prosperous. I live in America and, you know, on and on. And so I'm, I'm, God must really love me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're still sinners needing a Savior, regardless of where we live or who we are or what, what's going on. And so that's the, the first, the truth message that Jesus came to bear witness to. And then the second thing Jesus came to do in Luke chapter 19 in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is, he's called Matthew uh, to come and follow him. And then he goes to Matthew's house and he starts having dinner with Matthew and all of Matthew's buddies. Now we know Matthew the disciple, the one who wrote the book of Matthew. We think great holy man. What was Matthew before he became a disciple? He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were scum. They were treasonous. They were traitors to the Jewish people. So they were outcasts. And so who would... And embezzlers. And embezzlers and cheaters and all this stuff. And they, they, they were turncoats on their own people. And so if a tax collector would uh, make their living by charging you more than what they were... They had a set amount they had to give to Rome. And whatever else they could get from you, they got to keep for themselves. So they became very rich in their own right. Um, they were... Uh, inflicting they were representatives of the roman government even though they tried to be faithful jewish people so they, they were straddling both ends of the spectrum if you will and and so a good jewish person would look at a tax collector as a, a traitor to israel to god uh, to the people of god and and you would be one of the most despised people in society you were an outcast you're a sinner no one would walk with you no one would touch you no one would want to speak with you certainly no one would come to your house and so jesus goes to Matthew and says, follow me. <laughs> I want you. And not only does he do that, but then he says, and in fact, I'm going to go to your house and let's have dinner together. Invite all your buddies. And so Matthew invites all his tax collector friends, all of the other outcasts, all of the other sinners, all of the other Israelite rejects, if you will, to the house of Jesus. And Jesus, it says, is sitting there reclining and they're all just reclining in the house together, hanging out, enjoying each other, enjoying that time together. And and then in Matthew or Luke chapter 19, it tells us uh, in verse, here we are, in verse 8, let's start there. It says, uh, this was Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Uh, Zacchaeus uh, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, uh, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So again, the mission of Jesus there is to seek and to save the lost. He's 
a witness to the truth of the fact that man is lost and that there's one remedy to that. And that's the purpose for him coming is to remedy that situation, not to make everybody healthy and happy again, not to provide wealth and and political freedoms and all of these other things, but to provide them spiritual freedom, to provide them reconciliation with God. And now he's come to seek and to save those who are lost according to the truth. And so we see that tax collector there. He spent a lot of time in the homes of the outcasts. Think about it. Uh, John chapter 4, he's with the woman at the well. No one else would come see her. She's there at noon, midday. It's the hottest part of the day when no one else would come. Luke chapter 7, he's got, he's got the woman with the alabaster jar who breaks the jar over his feet and uh, these sort of things. Matthew chapter 9 is where uh, Matthew's called as the tax collector and, and um, is brought into his house. And in fact, in Matthew 9, it says that as Jesus reclined at the table of the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The idea of reclining is they're all laying back leaning on each other. <laughs> it's not like Jesus stood far off and preached a message to them, sinners over there. Jesus was right there getting dirty with them, rubbing elbows with them, hanging out, talking, shooting the breeze, you know, doing all that stuff. He was hanging out with them. And when the Pharisees saw this, when the religious elite, when those who were supposed to be great saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with those tax collectors and sinners? You know, that's not how we do things. Our mission is to stay apart from those things. Our mission, according to a Pharisee, according to a Jew, is to separate from the world, not to include ourselves in the world. They're dirty, they're filthy, we're clean, we're holy, we can't mix. That's our mission. And when, when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's out looking for the sinners. And now, if, based on our first point, all of us are fallen, sinful people, who's Jesus seeking? All of us. <laughs> I came to seek sinners. Now, if you think you're not a sinner, how are you going to realize what Jesus' mission is? Jesus, you came to seek sinners. Well, that can't be me. You've got to really go and get them. I don't need it, but only they do. There's that self-righteousness that comes in there. So Jesus is saying, I came to seek and save the lost. You know, Paul had it right in 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says uh, uh, to Timothy, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. <laughs> the great apostle Paul saying, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that, that mission of Jesus, first of all, he testifies of the truth. He bears witness He's a martus, a martyr of the truth. That's the idea of being a witness. And, and the truth is, is that we're all lost. We're all apart from God. We're all uh, en at enmity and enemies of God, needing reconciliation and restoration of our relationship with him. And Jesus not only comes and tells us about that situation, but he now seeks us out in that condition in order to bring us back and provide the reconciliation for us. That's the mission of Jesus. Imagine if he got distracted along the way. Imagine if at age 27, he saw Mary Magdalene and started, you know, hmm, stroking his beard, thinking maybe a family would be nice. Maybe enjoying some of this human thing would be great, you know. 
Yeah, maybe <laughs> a bad example, perhaps. But, you know, maybe Jesus got distracted thinking, you know what? Carpentry really is fun. I love woodworking and I love building cabinets for people. And I really enjoy working with my hands. And let me just build the business first and let me just get this going on. And I'm getting popularity now. Or, you know, maybe, you know, if Jesus got distracted with any of those other things. Or if, if he wanted to, to restore Judaism, as we said, or if he wanted, he could have gotten distracted with any of that stuff. But Jesus says, no, I know my mission. I'm going to keep focused on that mission. And the final part that I wanted to just mention tonight, the third part of his mission is the sacrifice. In Matthew 28, or 20, verse 28, uh, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the purpose that he came is to bear witness of the truth, witness of the truth about our condition and the possibility of salvation, He came to seek out those in need of salvation that didn't know what the way was yet so that he could show them the way. And then he came to be the sacrifice himself that is the way to reconciliation. And so uh, Jesus knew his mission and he was steadfast in that. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it tells us that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, for Jesus to go up to the cross. It says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that's in the middle of Luke. He doesn't get to Jerusalem until chapter 19. But throughout the entire book of Luke, that chapters 9 through 19 is the road to Jerusalem for Jesus. And the, the concept there is he set his face like a flint rock. As hard as flint, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And that was his goal. That was his, his focus, his direction. And he moved in that direction throughout all of those years, throughout all of that time containing all those chapters. And so everything that he did, he was focused on that one goal of going to be the sacrifice. Because there was no way for the truth that we're sinners and need reconciliation with God. He's going to seek us to tell us about that reconciliation. The only way we can have it is if he actually goes to the cross. If he gets distracted along the way, if he loses out on his mission, we're all in trouble. Romans chapter 3, this will be the last passage and then we'll finish up here. Romans 3, 21 through 26, but says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God brought a law in place, and he allowed this these symbol sacrifices, these temporary sacrifices to take place, as a forbearance and as as a way for his sin to be held at bay or for his judgment of sin to be held at bay. But there's the one coming that would do the final, uh, you know, taking away of sin. The idea in the Old Testament is you cover up your sin. You, 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 you know, the kofar, you, you hide it over there. And same in the New Testament, that atonement is the covering up, the, uh, the covering over of our sin by his blood. And so he's able to justify it in that way. And if Jesus doesn't do that, if Jesus doesn't fulfill his mission, then the entire gospel story is gone. <laughs> if he doesn't go to the cross, there is no Christianity. If he doesn't resurrect from the dead, we're still in our sins. 
It's, it's all for nothing. You know, when I argue with people about the truth of Christianity, I tell them, you don't have to defeat everything. I said, if you can tell me that he's not God or he didn't go to the cross, I'm done. If either one of those two are not true, I'll walk away from Christianity tomorrow. And so you don't have to disprove the entire Bible and talk about, if you just show me one of those two, I'll help you. <laughs> Let me narrow it down for you a little bit. And so if Jesus is not on mission, if he's distracted from his mission, he doesn't realize what he's here for, then he, he can easily get distracted by other things and not fulfill the mission that God has for him. And every one of us lose out. Now to a smaller level, bring it down to ourselves here, we're on a mission as well. God has placed us on this earth for a purpose. God has a mission for us. He's got a reason for our existence. He wants to work in and through us. And for some, it's, it's in our homes. For some, it's, it's in workplaces and schools and, and, and communities. And some, it's in government. For some, it's, it's all of these avenues need genuine believers. But again, what is our ultimate mission in all of those places? Our ultimate mission in work is not simply to provide for our families, although that is very important. We don't go to work for the paycheck. We shouldn't go to work for the paycheck. If that is our ultimate goal at work, you're going to fall short because you can always make more. <laughs> you can always have a better job. Someone else is always going to come in and get a better benefit package or whatever it is, and then now you have animosity. But if we go to work to be a representative of the gospel message, to make disciples of the co-workers that God has placed us with, and we see the job as God's provision for us to provide for our family as we're doing the work of ministry. <laughs> that puts a whole new perspective on work. Now, go to the grocery store. Yes, it's tedious going to Costco at, you know, and eat, you know, whatever, when it's jam-packed on a Saturday morning because, you know, you need the food. None of us go on Saturday mornings. I know that. But, you know, you can't even walk down the aisles. But what if every person you bump carts with is an opportunity to make a disciple? God may have placed you there for, and, and you know, we can think of just even conversations the last couple of days where so-and-so had something that lasted longer. Last night we were talking with a friend and, and their uh, appointment lasted an hour longer than they thought it would be. And so they didn't have time to run home before they had to be at their next thing. So they stopped off somewhere to get a, a, you know, a bite to eat because they were hungry. And they ran into our daughter that they hadn't seen in a long time. And, you know, and they had a great fellowship and a great a moment like that. And, you know, it may have been a small thing, but how many times do we bump into an old friend, bump into someone that's in need, bump into... And if we're mindful of the mission that we're on, as we're going about our things, it's not, not neglecting our things, but it's as we're going about the things that we need to be doing, be mindful that first and foremost, we're discipling. And every person we bump into is an opportunity to disciple, an opportunity to share the gospel, an opportunity to pray with, to encourage, to to whatever, don't know what's going on with them. So how can we bless them and encourage them and help them uh, in their walk? Uh, and then, you know, still get our shopping done, still get our work done, still get our schoolwork done, whatever it might be. We still do those things, but we're doing those things with the ultimate desire that I'm here as an ambassador of God with the opportunity to disciple and teach and invite new people into the kingdom as well. And so if we can stay focused on that mission, just as Jesus was focused on our mission, we're going to see ourselves being more fruitful uh, in uh, our uh, expression of our faith at the very least. Um, I think we are going to be encouraged as we see God using us in unique ways. I, I know many people in the church are discouraged because they don't see God using them, but they don't see and give opportunities in a lot of the places that they go to be used. They don't see them as opportunities. They think if I could only... Uh, be freed of that job, then I could really go and minister here. Or if I could only be free of this thing, then I could really... 
well, why don't you start where you are doing ministry and then see how God would use that and what he would do with you from there. Cool. So let's pray and uh, <clears throat> we'll hang out a little more. So Lord, thank you for being faithful with the mission with which you were called to come, take on flesh, humble yourself, and uh, to bear witness to the truth, the truth of the gospel message that we are sinners in need of reconciliation and need of justification and need of, uh, Lord, being made right with you and that you seek us out to save us. You, you, you've not gone to those who don't think they need you, but you're going to those who know that they're wrong. You, you go to those that admit their sin and you go to those that, that would desire uh, to, to understand that they're wrong. And you save them, you bring the truth to them, you bring your truth of, of your sacrifice on the cross, and you offer that to them as a remedy. You offer that to them as a propitiation for their sins, that payment, that uh, ransom uh, from their judgment that they're, they're due. And uh, because of that, Lord, we've been made right with you, we're reconciled, uh, we now have uh, your spirit in us, and you've called us, and you want us to go and offer the same thing to other people. You want us to share your truth with them. You want us to seek out those that are uh, sinning and, and invite them to salvation. And, uh, and then you want us to share your sacrifice with them that they can know you in the same way that we do, God. So may we be faithful with that mission, faithful with that task that you've given us. And um, may you just use us in the places that we go, that we would be mindful and open and intentional in going about our days, that uh, we can look for opportunities to share and to disciple others around us. And so uh, thank you, Lord, again for your faithfulness, and uh, may we uh, do the same with this life that you've given us. Pray this in your name, Jesus.